Hello and welcome to 21st Century Vitalism, a podcast asking the question, what does it mean to be fully alive in the 21st century? And how do we best maintain that aliveness while dealing with the unique stressors of this very strange, very potent, sometimes troubling time? I'm your host, Brett Kane. I'm a licensed massage therapist and mindfulness meditation instructor, and my goal is to create a multidisciplinary conversation that brings in folks from many different worldviews and practices and belief systems, and to create a comprehensive conversation on what we can do to meet this moment fully and in a wakeful and grounded way. Joining us on the show today, I'm not going to lie, is a monolithic figure in the world of Taoist practice and in Tai Chi. Uh, He is potentially, I mean, he's the forefront of uh, Taoist meditation. His name is Bruce Francis. For those who are martial artists, you probably know who this is. Uh, If you're not, then you're about to be uh, introduced. Today, we are going to be covering Taoism in the 21st century and how you can use it to really find some balance in your life and what exactly it is, especially in context to the other systems that we've talked about. So for Bruce, he's been practicing this stuff since 1961. He spent 16 years training in China, Japan, and India with genuine grand masters. His lineage is actually connected directly to Lao Tzu, who is the author of the Tao Te Ching, which is the second most translated book in the world. He is the first known Westerner to hold the authentic lineage of Qigong, Bagua, Tai Chi, and the Taoist meditation practices that we talk about. He's written eight books. He's trained more than 20,000 people. And he's overall, he's one of the most accomplished Western practitioners of these arts. Uh, You can find him over at energyarts.com. He has a lot of uh, training programs that can get you started into this. And this conversation is really an introduction into this world and into the way that he's navigated this and really cultivated his platform. Uh, it is a understatement to say that this was a huge honor for me to have a little bit of his time uh, with as busy as he is. You know, he's writing a new book and uh, has really, really cemented himself as the the leader in the West on um, bringing people into this. So for me, this was huge, very, very uh amazing that my platform was able to host this conversation and that he gave me some of his time. So I do not take that very lightly. And I'm so thrilled to be able to present this conversation to you because it really is uh, really special. Uh, And it's definitely a landmark in the show's history of really having a just full blown master of what they do. It really, it's the kind of stuff that I really want to keep bringing. So I am beyond thrilled. Uh, Again, that's energyarrots.com. Uh, Bruce Francis. I hope you enjoy. If you want to support this show, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, subscribe, follow, like, all the social media things. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Uh, all of that really helps, as does Patreon. Uh, right now, I just have the $5 reward, so if you want to get in early before the actual reward brackets really get developed, that would help me keep the lights on, and that's what we're trying to do right now. So yeah, without taking up too much of your time, please sit back, open your heart, drink some tea, do some stretches, and welcome the legendary Bruce Francis. Now leaving the station, Bruce Francis, hello and welcome to 21st Century Vitalism. I just want to start by saying thank you so much for being here with me. I really appreciate you taking some time to chat with me. You're very welcome. Yeah. Yeah. So how, how are things going with you right now during uh, this weird phase in the pandemic? Is everything kind of going all right as we land in today? Well, I mean, the thing that I've seen about the pandemic in general is that it's got a peep it's got many many people unnecessarily freaked out i think that um from everything i've seen the media is doing a total fear tactics campaign is how much of what putting out is real and is nonsense it's hard to distinguish my kid for example is a doctor 
And I mean, you know, he's from the beginning gone in and gone, you know, with the notes and this and that. And uh, it seemed that Fauci wasn't on the level. Uh, that's what it seems like. Although, you know, what do I know? I'm only knowing what I'm hearing from him. Um, but, you know, I think people have a right to take the shot or not take the shot. And the law is finally giving them that right. And I think, you know, a point that I think was never really considered was that how much following all this incredible number of rules and whatnot is shutting down people's lives and are they going to recover from it? Not the not if they're going to die from it or something. There's a lot worse things than death. There's being half alive and half dead while you're walking on two feet. And so, I don't know. I mean... I lived in China for 11 years, and, you know, I don't like to say this because who knows, could prevent me maybe ever going back to China, but you can't believe a bloody word to see it, the, the, the Communist Party in China says. Uh, they are, what they want to do is perpetuate their power. And whatever they can do to close down their own people and whatnot is it, but I don't know if the goal of this whole pandemic was to shut down and screw up the West or was to shut down and screw up China. I mean, you can make cases for both of those things, but it's okay. I mean, you know, but I'm sure glad I wasn't in China when this thing happened. I can see where it would have made life a real drag. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of footage coming out of Shanghai right now of um, the level of lockdown that they're in right now because of Omicron and it is harrowing stuff. Like there are people who are starving in their apartments and drones that are flying past broadcasting how they have to deny their soul's desire for freedom. And it's ludicrous. It's really crazy that in this stage of the development, you know, on the world stage. That well, the big stuff is not that. Desi you know, starving their souls of freedom is not something most Chinese even think about. Something Westerners think about. It's not something they think about. But denying them food, oh boy. You know, there's one thing that, that has been true throughout all of Chinese history. The only thing that has ever really got revolutions to habit is when the Chinese get hungry. Mm. When they don't have food to eat. And that's what's going on there now. So it's kind of hard to know if China's going to blow its cork or not. Yeah see that yeah there's I, I i'm not too familiar with chinese history but i do know you know it's punctuated with these kind of really intense moments and um it's amazing because at the same time of their really intense history I and mean, the rest of the world too they've also produced some of the most amazing worldviews that i think the world has actually seen you know and uh one of them is you know what we're going to be talking about predominantly today um, which is Taoism, and I guess just to make that transition into that conversation, um, you know, I think it's relevant to what's happening there today. Um, you know, I, I think starting off, what, how would you best describe this system? Because I've always heard of it as kind of a response to Confucianism and like the the strict social order that that kind of brought. I heard that this was kind of in response to that to try and create some space. How would you best um, introduce that people? Is, that is only one aspect of it. Uh, I mean, you know, Confucianism has 3,000 analectics regarding propriety and proper behavior. So uh, as a general rule, the Taoists are radically looser than Confucianists are, but they have, they have always been considered to be somewhat enemies because the Confucians are all about control, and the Taoists are saying that ultimately control doesn't exist. Uh, and that's, that, that, that's a rather divergent viewpoint. Um, the golden age of Chinese history, pretty much universally agreed upon, was when the Taoists were actually in charge of the government. And when they no longer were in charge of the government, the government slowly downgraded, and then you had, and the Chinese people caught a lot of misery. So I would have to say that that's equally true. I mean, you know, I was always given that when I learned. Here, I'm, I'm, I'm having, I'm publishing a book. It's written and everything. We're just like kind of finishing the last 
little itty bitty things that have to do with you know marketing and whatnot or the presentation of the book, the Tao Te Ching, which was the classic text of Lao Tzu, who wasn't the creator of Taoism, but was clearly its progenitor in modern times. And a lot of where the Taoists are coming from is, you could say, anti-Confucian. And that's because you cannot arrive, the Taoists believe you cannot arrive at a natural life through control. You can arrive at a life where you can get most of the things you want in the outer world, goods, services, money, and everything goes with it. But you can't actually bring about a society where the people inside of it will be pretty much okay. And I mean, you can see that today. I mean, you know, you want to know who, who are the, and this is, this is in one sense just a metaphor. It's, I wouldn't take it too literally. But I mean, you know, who are the Confucians in modern American society? Well, let's see. It's the Republican Party, and it is the corporate interest. And they want to control things. They're always looking toward the past. Things were always better in the old days than they are now. Their major concern is not necessarily making the world better. They just don't want to see it get worse. So we have those things, but that sort of explanation, if you really want to get into what that meant in China, wouldn't really work for most Americans because any statements like that, you'd have to know the context of the whole society you're discussing. But I would say that the... Uh, Taoism is comprised of two major wings. The, the wing of Laozi and the, and the wing of Zhuangzi. And Laozi is more easygoing. And Zhuangzi is much more radical. They consider that the gen, human being is genuinely becoming spontaneous in their thoughts, action, and deeds. It is the way in which they will connect with the ultimate spiritual force, force in the fastest and most complete way. Where Louds is more like the old fuddy-duddy old grandpa. He wants to go a lot more steady and not take so many risks and, you know, don't upset people too much so that basically they won't rise up and kill you. So these are the two, they're both, they're both Taoists, there's no two ways about it. They both follow all the precepts of Taoism, but there is a difference in the spin they put on it. So it kind of sounds like you're saying like the goal, if there is to be a goal of Taoist practice, is to live as natural of a life as possible as opposed to like the Confucius, like to control every aspect of your life so that you can kind of maintain. Is, it, is the naturalness kind of what it's all moving towards? No, it's not, it's not all. It's, it's, it's a major part of it, but it's not the whole thing. Uh, it's... A lot of it is finding natural ways of being. In this one sense, so much of what is in Taoism and Buddhism are exact parallels to each other. As a matter of fact, many of the Tibetans have said for a long time that Lao Tzu was the Buddha of a previous age. Uh, but it was just the type of society that China had before, during, and not and after was a very sophisticated society. For example, during the time of Lao Tzu before and after, uh, China had approximately one-fifth of the world's wealth. It had a very high percentage of all original patents that were ever made. And their society was very much um, success-oriented. For example, the word for success in Chinese is uh, chenggong, and even the standard Chinese New Year's greeting will give you, I mean, they're not, you know, many things, for example, in Buddhism are, you know, trying to get past the samsara of the world, the, you know, the limitations of it, and 
In Taoism, those limitations are called the mind of man. They're just, you know, the mind of man can be incredibly tricky. And how to free yourself from the control that beliefs and structures internally control you. Forget about outside. Yeah, that's all true. That's equally true. But it's the internal controls that cause most of it. And so, you know, the, the Taoists were trying to get these, this type of freedom, this natural action, this not going away the universe. Now, there are a lot of things, right, that people get confusions. You know, they think that Taoism is only about life on this earth. And that's not true. They're about life throughout all the universes that exist. They, um, and they're looking about how to be natural within whatever the natural constraints the different suns and planets and galactic systems are going to induce. And they're about not being trapped by them, but being free, free from them. And just plain being free. And so this is... Buddhists talk a lot, they talk about the existence of them, but they, they don't, they don't, they don't, they don't have a lot of practices where they go for it very directly, and Taoists do. Um, I would say that as a sociological thing, I mean, if you live in China, so I was there for 11 years, so I got, I got, and I speak Chinese, and I've spoken it almost from the beginning, that there are some, you know, different, there are things you go through. You can't, Unless you're just, you know, a diehard colonialist who has a lot of money and wants to live on the big house of a hill and the only contact they have with Chinese are workers or slaves, that if you live in a society, you want, to whatever degree you can, understand them. And hopefully you want to have friends with some of them. And so you're going to meet all kinds of people. I'm, I'm not talking about in the generic thing that all people are different, personality characteristics, but you get the, 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 the forces that inside them drive them to do what they do. Oh, they're different. They just, I mean, they really are different. Confucians are, you know, very um, stiff. That's the best way of putting it. When you've got 3,000 rules of behavior and etiquette, like, you know, what you should do, what you shouldn't do. I've always made the joke how you should wipe your ass in the morning, how many strokes to the left, how many strokes to the right. Uh, you start getting things that are more free, more in the Taoist vein, is that you are observing the circumstances you're in and trying to fit in with them as best as possible. If you have Buddhist things, you have a lot of rules in Buddhism about what you should and should not do. Now, for example, in the more liberal areas of Taoism, they don't have anything you should or should not do. They just don't have it. But they will look at what's the circumstance, what's going on, and then best try and figure out what you should or should not do based upon, say, what the prevailing winds are. What is the, what is the entire context of what's happening? So that's something. And, and you know... Now, you know, a big thing, and I've been involved, and you all have entries. I mean, I was a Taoist priest. I went through seven years where I learned Taoism from Taoists. I wasn't reading um, the Christian take on Taoism or the Jewish take on Taoism. There's tons of books like that out there now. And I found they didn't really have a whole, whole lot. A lot of them didn't have anything to do with the Taoists that we were talking about. But unless you actually had access to them, how the hell would you know what they were talking about? So I can understand. I mean, I'm only writing this book, The Tao Te Ching, because I went through the Taoist priesthood for seven years. I spent three years with what they call in China, Taoist immortal. So at least I've got a reasonable chance of understanding a lot of what's in the Tao Te Ching. And putting that out, which is quite different. Uh, I mean, there's some ideas that, like, you know, like Buddhists, they were about enlightenment, and Taoism are just about living a better life. And yet, the whole subject of, of enlightenment and reincarnation is a very big subject in Taoism. But they don't bring it on in the beginning. They are of the opinion that until a person has 
arrived at a deep enough level of psychic development that there's no point talking about that stuff. They can't understand it. And, and so what, they, what can they do? They can just start tripping out about what they think that might mean to them. Yeah, I'm kind of curious because one of the major mechanisms of Buddhism is talking about what they call dukkha, or that's where the word suffering kind of comes from. That's like the first. Yeah, sukha dukkha, pain and suffering, yeah. pleasure so, and suffering. A, a big part of the practice is learning how to see the ways in which that manifests in your life. And that's sure. where mindfulness comes from. It's not as much about manipulating it or trying to get rid of it, but learning how to see it completely so you can understand it. The principle of sukha and dukkha, or pleasure and pain, is more highly emphasized in the Southeast Asian schools of Buddhism. Thailand, Burma, uh, Sri Lanka. The principle of compassion is much more, uh, and that's all called Theravadan, the principle of compassion is much more the central point of Mahayana Buddhism, including not only things like Shingong and Tiantai and the ones in Japan and Korea, but also the tantric schools. All tantric schools are emphasizing that until in tantric schools add one more thing which takes it further, and that's called non-duality. Now, non-duality is a common point between Buddhism and Taoism. Their methods of practice that get you there are quite different. I mean, China was a different civilization in India and was a different civilization than Tibet. But they are essentially doing the same things. Uh, or put it this way, they're doing practices which are to lead to the same goals, whether or not, forgetting about the exact ways in which they implement them. But a phrase that you get in the, in the East a lot, more in the Theravadan, is life is a veil of tears. Life is suffering. And, that, and now, the Buddha was primarily talking about mental suffering. He wasn't, he wasn't um, talking about you got a broken leg or you've got cancer or something like that. And the, the, the doctrine of nonviolence, of ahimsa, is something that was not as strongly emphasized in early Buddhism in Theravadan, but it was very much emphasized in the Mahayana schools. For example, there's a story that goes with this. It, um, there's two of them, actually, for Buddhists. One is that you have a person who is on a boat, and there's somebody on a boat who's a real stinker, and he's got this little vial of poison, and he's going to kill everybody. He's going to po poison everybody on the boat. So then uh, somebody finds out about it, and they go, they, go ask, they, they go ask the Buddha. And they say, Lord Buddha, uh, is it wrong for us to kill this guy? Because so, you say nonviolence, we shouldn't commit any violence. But is it wrong to kill this guy? And Buddha said, well, you can look at this from two ways. One, you can look at it that if you kill him, you will prevent him. First of all, you'll save the pe people's lives on the boat, which is obvious. But you will save him all the karma, the negative karma. He will accrue from this, which could go on for thousands of years. So, yeah, go ahead. But on the same thing, the Buddha was not on other types of things. He was not unless there was a direct cause and effect relationship between how things were going to get a lot worse if you killed this guy. Let's see where that, he was okay with that. You know, it's like, um, the person who brought tantricism, tantric Buddhism to Tibet, a person called Padmasambhava, uh, he did it, but he came there to tame the wild Tibetan beast. 
most people, you know, they're getting, they're getting an impression of Tibetans from the Dalai Lama and from their high Rinpoches who are gentle and mild and really seem spiritual. But if you want to now go back before Padmasambhava arrived, Tibetans were one of the hairiest mountain tribes in Asia. Genghis Khan, you know, said, I, I want to I have the members of the biggest monastery, the Sarah. I want him, I, I want you to give me those monks as shock troops with the Mongol army. And if you do that, then I'll, I'll, let, I'll let Tibetan Buddhism come, come into the Mongol Empire throughout all of China. Okay, why? Because historically, the Tibetans, a lot of the people in Tibet were just nomads. And what they would just do is at times they'd get 15 or 20 of them together, they'd get on their horses, and they, they would go as far as Persia and kill anybody who challenged them and then grab anything that wasn't nailed down and bring it back. So it is not the nationality or the dress or the customs it is the intrinsic mind that people have because their societies have raised them to be that way. Like most people now, I, I would think, having lived in Asia for 16 years, I, I used to watch a lot of the things in the newspapers or Time Magazine or something about how gentle and kind the Americans were. You know, Marshall Plan always brought up is the first thing. But you you start looking at a lot of the other stuff, they gentle and kind, you gotta be kidding. Vicious and nasty. But no, that 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 that's just normal international politics was always the answer. So the major point of Buddhism is bodhi. It's it's not compassion. Compassion is the primary tool or skillful means they use to get to bodhi. And what Bodhi is talking about is complete non-duality. That's, that's actually what it is. Now, the Taoists have the exact same framework, and uh, they have a whole other training. Their whole thing is based upon the eight energy bodies of people, of which that's Lao Tzu's school, not because not, Taoism also has a fire branch, which was very affected by things from the Middle East and things from Tibet, which is, is not what I do. Okay, just saying it's not personally what I teach, what I propagate. I, I propagate Lao's method because I think it's a, I think it's an antidote for the the misery the world's in right now. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think it has many things about it that can truly reform people to not having too much hate, to not having too. I mean, I wish you find kind of fun and interesting to watch the way you get some sort of major politicians or corporate types. And they all start talking about how we're doing this to help the world and to help everybody. And, but the truth of the matter is that they're only looking for a method for which they can lose the population. I live near Silicon Valley, and I used to really sometimes roll on the floor with laughter. Yes, we're doing this because it's making the life of everybody better. Now, I gotta tell you something. I will grant you, you can make the case that cell phones are making life a little bit better, but you also can make the case they're driving the population insane. Mm -hmm. So it was just, this is rhetoric. You know, it's, it's just, how do you talk to get people's emotions raised to where they don't necessarily know what's going on? And we're in an era now where, how I've looked at it personally, and I know many Taoists look at it in a very similar vein, Mankind has been around as long as it's been around. How long? There's a lot of debates about that one. 4,000, 5,000, 10,000 years. And really, it, it depends. Depends which perspective you're taking into. But we have the ability to turn the earth into a Garden of Eden, into a Buddha field, into the rolling green grass of a mythical North China. We have the ability to do it, but we don't do it because the suffering inside of people causes them, even though they can see how to fix everything, man, they just go to like make it as big a mess as they can. Well, what are you gonna do? I mean, seriously, it's like, uh, 
my joke has always been is that mankind has always been trying to destroy itself. It's not for lack of desire. It's for lack of tools. It's for lack of the stuff that can get the job done. Well, we have the stuff that can get the job done. So it would be nice if we grew up a little bit. And the Taoists have always held this. And they're... And they find it very sad when a lot of people get older, 60s, 70s, 80s, well, whatever the year is. I mean, it kind of depends upon the time in history. That when people have lived a rather full life, they can't look back and say, like, what is the foolishness we've been engaging in? And they don't. And so I think that every, every major religion on the face of the earth, and, to, and get yourself, Taoism's a religion, and Buddhism's a religion, and Christianity's a religion, and Islam's a religion. You know, Taoist is a religion. It's not just a funny little cult out of China. It predates any of the Western traditions. With the exception, you might be able to make Judaism, and you could make that point either way, actually. So anyway, this is, this is kind of on, on big broad strokes with Taoism. Is, and then they have all these practices they do. You know, what's the, what's, the, what's the classic phrase, right? Everybody's a sinner. It was okay, so let's say a person's a sinner and don't want to be a sinner anymore. Is the way they're going to get out of it just going into a confessional box, confessing all their sins? Okay, I think they probably have so many, it would probably take them, you know, decades upon decades, even just to list them. Yeah. So what, what genuine religions or what you might want to call inner paths or esoteric paths or whatever word you want to use, they all have their ways of getting rid of the inherent flaws in the human condition. And Taoism is very big on this. But then for that matter, so is Buddhism. And Buddhism, Buddhism didn't, Buddha didn't want to be referred to like he was a big girl. I mean, like at the end of the day, does, that, does anybody, you know, it takes two legs to, to, put, to fill out a pair of pants. I mean, it doesn't really matter how high or how low your philosophy is. Still, you got to put the pants on. And I think that was, I think it's one of the, um, I, th I think it's one of the most potentially useful of the ancient world spiritual traditions. Unfortunately, in America, it, there's very little of it because the Chinese were never that big on exporting it. Mm -hmm. I mean, say what you want. Jesus Christ, he was, he was a cultural imperialist. Go out. Tell the peoples of the world. I'm sorry, you know, if he did that with an army, he'd be called an imperialist. That's what Genghis Khan said. Take that army and keep on going till there's nobody left you haven't conquered. And if you look at the Muslim world, you can't say they're not cultural imperialists. They want everybody to be a Muslim, and they get really sometimes upset when people don't. You look at Christians, wow. I mean, we've, Christians have had, a, have had a nasty, nasty history. Of course, they're all doing it for the greater good of God. So, you know, kind of be interesting to actually have a debate with this God sometime. But all he's just saying is, I have the power. This is what you do because I want you to do it. And if you don't, well, I'm going to fry you. Mm -hmm. Taoists don't have stuff like that. True Buddhists don't either. So I don't know if you have any other questions. People, what do people know about Taoism? Okay, they know Tai Chi. It's got a yin yang symbol. Okay, uh, well let's see. Christianity's got little things with little little things. Give you an idea. The, one of the biggest things that goes on in America is that come Christmas time, people put all these things on their lawns. You know, the manger, the, the Jesus Christ doing this, doing that, the donkeys, the wise men. Do you know we're almost back in the 70s, in the 60s, in the 80s, where they almost all came from? I mean, I was in the import-export business once upon a time. They came from Southeast Asia. They were made by Muslims. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that the Muslims were all into everything that they're Christian. No. It's just, it's it's a... You could have had them, frankly speaking, if you got someone who's good enough. He could have done the Sistine Chapel. You know, it had to have been a hell of an artist, but doesn't say he had to be a Christian. Mm -hmm. So we have these major kind of disconnects. And, you know, I learned 
this one individual and how the hell, you know, it's pretty rare that I even got involved in it. Because Taoism was so super secret, I just ended up getting involved with a serious Taoist group by a set of circumstances I never could have planned. I never could have engineered. It just all of a sudden, I walked around the corner and here it is. And call it karma, call it whatever, call, I have no idea. But I think that the purpose of all these religions is to somehow help humans grow up and stay grown up. And so I teach, I write books. I mean, yeah, I'll give you, I'll give you a good example. I have always hated writing. <laughs> From the time I was a child, I hated it. Dislike is too kind a word. Now, I could read with the best of them. Okay, I've got, I'm, I'm a reasonably intelligent person, and in high school, I used to hang out with the graduate students in, the, in Columbia and just have all-night rap sessions. At the age of 12, 13, and 14, I could hold my own with groups like that. I was a big kid, so they figured I actually <laughs> was one of them, as the phrase goes. Otherwise, I'm sure they would have thrown my ass out. But, okay, I could read. Hated writing. But then when I came back from China and I saw the state of what all these chi arts, you know, Tai Chi, Qigong, whatnot, and I decided that, well, I had the suspicion that I might be drawing toward a window of death. You know, nice planet, good place, but what the hell, is, you, gotta, you gotta go sometime. And so I started writing, which I have to say was, to me, was the equivalent of Felt like when I was writing that root canal was being done to me. Oh, no. I can't. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I really didn't like it. Anyway, at this stage of the game, it's not so bad now. Now it's kind of at this stage of the game. I mean, I've got sixteen books done. You know, fourteen, fifteen published, and the other ones actually they just they just have a little bit of work in them. And they go out, they go into the bookstores, and now I'm starting. I'm thinking about, you know, doing a book on Zhuangzi, which these, these are like, you know, these are not childish, these are, these are not easy things to write for anybody. Yeah. And I mean, I'm only doing because I want to help people out and let them know what it is. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I meet people, wow, they how much they love writing and they do it and they go to these camps and that camp and they want to win a Pulitzer Prize. I was lucky for the first eight books I wrote that I just, you know, have to go to the bathroom every once in a while and just, you know, vomit. I didn't like doing it. I really didn't like doing it. But still, I looked at, there are many things in that that helped me when I was younger and I've seen them help people my whole life. So, okay, so we go, we do it. We do it, whether we like it or not. And of course, you know, I was dragged into it, bitching and moaning. But if you really hate doing something and you're doing it, I don't know anyone who's jumping up and clicking their heels. But somehow, you know, you persevere through the mess. Yeah. So, so, real quick, what do you think it is about Taoism and these practices that is so distinctly like the salve to the injury of this current time and place out of all of the systems? It seems like you're pretty well-versed in a lot of them. What is it about this in particular you think is the most effective in terms of helping people find ease in their life? Well, I would start with this. The big rap in America was that the American Indians were the most natural with the ram, with the great spirit. With, but you know something? There weren't that many of them. Okay? So, yeah, they had, they did that stuff. But they never had to deal with incredible sophistication. Taoists did. Mm -hmm. China during almost the entire time of the Taoists was at least for three quarters of it, minimum. It was the most educated nation on the earth. So they're, the factors that were causing pressure on their lifestyles were not that dissimilar to what we're going through. You know, if someone's having things that work really, really beautifully, but the pressure their society puts on them has no equivalency in something else. What do you say about the something else? It's different. Right. 
Yeah. I find that wasn't the case with Taoism. Because I found the same sort of, you know, intellectual drive. I mean, we have, you know, everything now is like it's all about the intellect and, you know, make your algorithm. But you got to realize something in China. People who were at the top of their society, they were the top scholars in that society. And, they, and their scholars really had rigorous stuff going. Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes if you screwed up on your scholarship, they'd take you out and chop you into small pieces, feed you the birds outside. So th there was a continuous pressure to do things with the mind, the ordinary mind, the mind of casual perceptions. Horse is different than a cat. You know, E equals MC squared is a different formula than X equals Y plus Q. Okay, they're, they're different, okay? But those things are more sophisticated because they had abilities to be proven and they had vast extensions across every area of life. And at the end, most of them, even with those vast extensions, could be reduced to something any human was capable of understanding if they could find a way to get to the nub of it and not get distracted by all the complex operations, which is the reason why most people couldn't penetrate it. Mm -hmm. So is this where a lot of the emphasis is placed on like the body-based practices? Because I've had some conversations with friends who practice Tai Chi who, I mean, I've tried to get really Buddhist with them and talk about all these lists and they're like, you're thinking way too much. Like it's all like the wisdom is born in the body. Is that kind of where that well, comes from? Is First of all, that's a yes and a no. Look, in Taoism, I'm talking about Taoism, I'm not talking about Tai Chi. Okay, you've got basically, and the Buddhists more or less hit it right, in terms of people's natural proclivities, what, what intrinsically makes sense to them. Some people are bodily oriented. They can't see light inside them. They can't differentiate the substratums of light that they could encounter in a practice. And then some people are not able to feel that well or distinguish between the really subtle levels of vibrations that exist. They can't do it. I mean, it doesn't matter how much they want to, they can't. It's like, you know, yeah, I'm sorry, you were, born, you were born with, you know, one leg. You are not set up to be a marathon runner. Okay, but... You can get through, but in, 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 in Taoism, what they say is they say this. If I can put this in the crassest way possible, the ultimate object of Taoism is to find the Tao. You want to go Buddhist since you've been mentioning? Enlightenment. Okay, Bodhi. Whatever, it's, it's, but that's it. And that is really what and all the earlier practices are. Like when you want to build a 30-story building, you've got to have the first 5, 10, 15, 20, and 30 floors be solid. Otherwise, when you put the capping thing on, we the whole thing collapses into the ground. Okay, so they had their ways of doing that. The Taoists had, and they, they had a very simple philosophy. They said, look... We live in America, which is this country based upon quote-unquote democracy. And then people do go take a really stupid turn, which means that all men are created equal. Everybody's the same, right? If people are going to play a game of basketball, someone who's three feet tall and someone who's seven feet tall, they're created the same. Now, I wouldn't say that they're not created the same at the level of their soul, if you want to use the Western term soul. But, no, I'm sorry, I mean, one, 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 one can't... <laughs> the seven-foot guy would have to pick the three-foot guy up even for him to reach the basket. Yeah. Okay? So there isn't. So they, so they have their natural thing. Some people, uh, you know, spiritual evolution takes a long time. And for some people, they have to work out what's going on with their body to be at peace with it. To truly be at peace with it. And the body has incredible number of subtle energy channels 
energy centers, an incredible number of cross-links between them. For example, in Lao thing, depending on how you want to count it, because some things do kind of function double, you have between three and 4,000 energy channels in your body. Okay? I'm sorry, this is not the yoga. You got the left and the right in this. Center. No, no, no. You got Because they're looking at how every one of them, how the interconnections happen. All right, so, so you pick that up, and that's really good, and you get there. But then, wait a second. Then you're going to start getting into the vibrations that the human body is composed of. And those, those vibrations can get subtle as hell. They can, I mean, it's really amazing how subtle they can get. I mean, I wouldn't want to make this, the, the statement I've done all of them because I don't know if anybody could. But the fact of the matter is I've done a shitload. And I got to tell you, man, until you encounter that stuff, you could not believe it's actually there. All right, then, then, then you have to start going to what you would call the brain. And in the brain, you know, you're starting to look at light. That is really where the deepest levels of light are to be found. So, I mean, all these things, they take a while, and Buddhists do the same stuff, but they don't necessarily do it in the same order. The practices that they do to actualize it are not necessarily the same. Some are, some aren't. It's, I mean, that, you know, 4,000, that, that makes for a hell of a lot of variation. So, you know, and the same thing with the Hindus. Yeah. So is it kind of a relationship of coming into contact with these more and more subtle vibrations and these lights within the brain? Like, what is it that is happening when you make contact, when you start to sense that subtle sensation? Is it kind of like... Making contact, making contact is the first step. That just says I'm in a room and I can recognize that there's a mirror, a door, and a TV set in it. Doesn't say I can do anything with any of them. But then after that, after you can kind of begin to recognize what's there, your mind begins the process of merging with those things that are in the room until you take it far enough to where you actually get what they are. You get what's possible. And then you start connecting. You get the interconnections between all those things that are possible. And at each, at each stage you get... You could say our primary realizations, or you could just say that the pressures inside you that make you not able to recognize what's inside you and just go off in the wrong direction all the time. And, and, and that's the process of unraveling them until essentially everything is just clear. Until there is one thing that's actually there in your entire body. There's not 100 or 200 or 500, although it might seem that way. And it is when you get to that point of the one, that's where people in the New Age movement like to talk about source or about, I don't know, they have all these cockamamie names. And that, that's where it takes you. So it kind of sounds like it's like creating space within yourself. Like it almost, I always have the metaphor that we carry this like big bag of a bunch of stuff with us. There's like a bunch of weightiness, a bunch of like our stories and our neuroses. And we're just no, always no, no, dragging no, no, this. No, no, no. That's the stuff that stops you doing everything I was talking about. Right, right. That's not the stuff I was talking about. Right. But like by making contact with these more subtle vibrations, is it kind of like emptying the bag of the stuff so that it gets lighter and lighter so that it, it may be emptying it, it may be breaking it up it may be transforming it from one thing into another, you know, here to make the moon one that, that could be the most probably controversial, right? Transforming a penis to a vagina. Okay. All right, I mean, you know, they did have something in common. They both came from human beings. No, not always, because they could have come from animals, but if we just take it, yeah, human being. But you'd have to first be able to recognize what's a penis and what's a vagina before you could ever begin to really change it or transform it or release what are the unique qualities of a penis or a vagina, which is a lot easier said than done. So what would you say is within the system kind of like the foundational, the ground floor that you then, you said you, you really want like a sturdy foundation. 
Well, in Taoism, the way most of it starts, not all of it, because there's hundreds of schools of Taoism, so you, you can't make one generic statement. Like, you can't make one generic statement about all of Christianity if you start actually really going into the difference in the different sects and whatnot. The first thing is to be able to recognize what's in you. The next step is to, just as there, Okay, my cup, there's a cup on the table. It doesn't say I understand a cup, what it does, what, but at least I know there's a cup. Then you need to understand what that cup can do. Then you need to understand what that cup can interconnect with. And then after you've gone through all those things, other stuff comes up that I'd rather not talk about. Yeah, kind of further down the path. So are there some maybe typical broad strokes to the practices associated with kind of seeing what's actually there? Well, the, the thing that... No, because different schools have different things they emphasize. But one of the more common ones is that we're of the earth, right? Yeah, a lot of people running around are not of the earth. They're completely in their heads. They're completely in their emotions. And they don't actually connect to the fundamental basis upon which they're here which is the dirt and whatever's in that dirt, which most people don't have the ability to recognize too well. But something that allows your mind to travel through your body and connect to what's in this earth. And then it starts going on from there. You know, the, the classic phrase in Taoism is heaven, earth, and man. Okay, heaven, the big universe out there. Earth, real simple. It's not just dirt. I mean, God knows what's in the air. There's a lot of stuff. Okay? And man. And then there is your relationship to both of those things. The human condition's relationship to both of those things. As a general proposition, Taoists are practical. And they like to get into what exactly are you trying to do? And how exactly can it be done? Another difference in one sense, a lot of Buddhism stuff is that they want you to understand the theoretical matrix. They want you to have a good analysis of what's happening. And then through that, that'll help you proceed through things. That the Taoists actually start much more by doing whatever it is you're going to do. And then once you start getting a real sense of what's being discussed, and not just a, a mental idea, then that is usually the, that's usually the route that they take. I mean, as an example, my teacher, Leo Hongjie, he was what in Taoism they called an immortal. Like a full Buddha. There's not many of them running around. Okay, they're pretty rare. And who previous to that was declared formally enlightened in Buddhism. He always said, you learn Buddhism, then you learn Taoism. He considered Buddhism to be a stepping stone to Taoism. But he was dealing mostly in the Mahayana schools. But he, very smart guy. Now China had an incredible thing about scholarship and whatnot. When he was in his early 20s, he was a professor of classic Chinese literature in the university that became Tsinghua University, which is one of China's top universities, right? And which is a statement that within his society, he was something like, you know, the head of a big Harvard department or something like that. I mean, I, I don't know exactly what the parallelisms are. But then he... And he taught, and he did this for a couple of years, and then he quit, and, and then he did other things. He, he did things with, you know, with Buddhism, and then he became enlightened, and then he decided then that he was going to learn Taoism because he thought that was really what the source was in China. And he said, look, you're smart, and I could give you all these cute intellectual reasons for why Taoism does what it does and how it does it and whatnot. But you want to know something? 
The only way that you're ever going to find it out is to practice. And then what's going to happen is that if you have a reasonable amount of intelligence, anyone whose intelligence would be radically below yours, they're going to get realizations that are real. And that's what you should be focusing on. So, you know, one of the first things they had you do in a lot of Taoist things is because different schools are different. They just simply had you stand. And they had a way of getting you to clear the blocked energy in your body and that was in your mind. Now, that might sound like a relatively easy thing to do. Trust me, it is not. It is not. And so, okay. So the Taoists usually will begin anything they do with a certain amount of physical practices because they said, otherwise you're going to get stuck in the echo chamber of your mind. And actually, it may be impossible to get out of it. So they said, since you're, you're on the earth, that you want to start with things which have to do with the earth. Because you don't know by the time you die if you will have completed the process. Or you might only have completed 1% or 2% of it. But if you start with what is at the beginning, then you have a chance of arriving sometime at the end. Not talking about time, which is a completely elastic thing. And so Taoists usually start with things like standing. Okay? Because when you stand, your whole body is actively involved with connecting to the earth. Yeah, it's got whole things about how to do that. You open your energy channels, you do this, you do that, you have all sorts of... And pe people get, get stuck in the minute, and they miss what's the big point. So, that's about all I can say of that. Yeah. Actually, one of my good friends who was one of the few that suggested you, uh, he does that standing practice every day and kind of walked me into it a little bit too, which is, you know, I, I do like walking meditation as per my own thing, but the standing I found actually it was really difficult, surprisingly, just to be on the ground and embodied and, you know, present with that. It was a, a pretty fascinating exploration. The way I always thought of it when I was younger, uh, since I was involved in martial arts, I, I know a bit about it. One of the best boxers America ever had was a guy called Joe Lewis. Mm. And one of the things he, like, I think, I think he said to Max Schmeller, you can run, but you can't hide. When you, when you do the practice of just standing and going inside yourself, you can't avoid what's in there. Yeah, it's really similar to the sitting practice of mindfulness, too, in terms of, like, there is no... No, 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 I don't think so. I mean, I can't say, at least from what I've seen of, of, of mindfulness, I've never really trained it. I mean, I've, I've been around the Theravadans in Thailand. No, yeah. because, you see, when you're sitting, you can use the base of your legs to keep your back up. Mm-hmm. When you're standing, you have got nothing that can help you keep your back. Your legs are there, but you have to keep every part of your body open. Now, if you're going to take that sitting is difficult and that it'll drive you inside yourself, that's a fundamental proposition of every Eastern form of meditation. Mm -hmm. I mean, it doesn't really much matter which one you go to. Yeah. But the thing of standing, that that is something that is a big thing in Taoism. I mean, in Buddhism they do it, but they do it where it was like very external. I made their legs really wide and get their asses low. But when you're just focusing on actually going inside yourself, so you open up your body, your mind opens up your body from the inside. That's a different thing. Because one, one of the great, the great things that here, I'm, I'll give you what the classic story is. Not my story. You had many people in Japan, and they sat a lot, right? And they were called enlightened. But they found that sometime after doing this for years, their bodies fell apart. And they would always go to a Taoist to sort them out. Mm. And the Taoist didn't have them sit more. 
they started off having him stand because what had happened is that when you sit, if you don't, if you don't really know the methods of connecting the body, you, your body may not be strong enough. Your container may not be strong enough to handle everything that's going to be moving through it. Mm -hmm. And also try and remember this, which I think for Westerners is a germane point. Westerners don't sit on the ground. Now, maybe if you had someone who was a cowboy and he did it all the time, you know, you might. They do everything they do standing up or walking, moving. In Asia, that's not true. If you just want to get this point, go to India, go to Afghanistan, go to Nepal and go, go to the, the clothing market. And you will see people who will be sitting down with their legs crossed all day from morning till night. Their bodies are formed into that position from childhood. Their bones and their tendons grow to suit that mode. But that's not necessarily true for a lot of Westerners. And that's why they are just in such incredible pain in this and that. Yeah. And if your body is just an incredible pain, you've really got a hard time getting your mind to chill out. Yeah. I think that was, uh, at least I heard a story that was what started the like Hatha yoga as well. After sitting their entire lifetimes and getting all these aches and cramps, they, they were like, we have to keep meditating, but we need a little bit of movement to be able to balance yeah, out the everything. Body, if the body... The mind can create a lot of force into the body. Mm -hmm. The body has to be able to balance it out. Well, it does look like we are actually pretty much nearing time. So you did say that you had a book that you were going to be releasing. Is that going to be this year? Yeah, well, let's put it this way. We sure as hell hope so. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know. Anyone who looks at my website, energyarts.com, can also see a list of the other books I've written because they, they, they cover different areas. Yeah. But this is the Tao Te Ching, which is the equivalent of the, of the, of the, uh, the Bible and Christianity, the Quran, the Abhidharma. These are like, you know, it's like a seriously core text. Mm -hmm. And I've tried to make it as... I've tried to have it make as much sense as it can and be very directly pertainable to modern time. Because I tell you, the big things that Tao Te Ching is talking about, it's not that culturally specific. It hasn't really got to do with one culture and not another. It's talking about the, the nature of the mind, mm -hmm. the nature of the spirit. You know, and anyway, it's coming out. It, the Tao Te Ching, D-A-O-D-E-J-I-N-G. And if you can't remember, just talk to anyone who knows about it. anything about Taoism. And the Tao Te Ching, I don't know what it's like now with Harry Potter, but you know, from the first time it hit the West, it's been the second most translated book in English. Wow. So it's not like it's you know just kind of a, a book. <laughs> okay. Like an esoteric little thing. Yeah, it's just yeah. like the Bible is not just the book. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. So you said your website is energyarts.com. Uh, if people are looking to train with you, do you have offerings on there as well? Can oh, I connect virtually? Ev ev everything I do is on that website. Wonderful. Okay, great. Well, yeah, I'd love to uh, direct people your way. So awesome. This has been uh, a treat, Bruce. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time. You're very welcome and enjoy Michigan. Yeah. Isn't Ann Arbor in Michigan? Yep. Yeah, it's across the state. It's, okay. I'm here. This is the map. This is what we all do. I'm here. It's like up in this area. Oh, okay. I mean, I've heard of Ann Arbor. That's the only reason mm -hmm. why. I mean. Yeah, University of Michigan up there. Yeah, it's great. Well, all right. thank you. Till the next time. Yeah, until then. All right, friends, that was the episode. Thank you again so much for listening all the way through until the end. One more time, that was Bruce Francis. If you want to give him a round of applause, that would be great. He won't hear it, but you'll feel it, and he will maybe feel it on some level. 
Um, if you want to keep in touch with him and his trainings and his book releases, head on over to energyarts.com. You can start your training today or tomorrow or the day after, depending on what you want. I don't know. I'm not you. I'm going to judge how you want to approach that. If you want to support this show, you can head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. You can subscribe over on YouTube. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram. Do the Patreon thing, why don't you? Uh, it's patreon.com slash 21st century vitalism. Very simple, very easy, very sweet, just as yourself. I hope you enjoyed this conversation, and we will see you next time for another amazing guest. I'm very excited for the next person as well. So thank you again. Bye.